Another edition of the Behind the You podcast. It is brought to you by UFIT Gyms. Train together, win together. Introducing UFIT Gyms as the official fitness center for the Miami Hurricanes. Ready to join them. All it takes is a dollar. One single dollar. Let's go Canes. And joining us from the ringer and the SI Slow Newsday and a hurricane himself, someone who I've enjoyed getting to know the last few years, Kevin Clark. Thank you for doing this, my friend. I didn't know it was a workout sponsor. I've been doing the fill the sleeves challenge this summer. Have you been working yet? A little no? bit. I tried. I tried. Can you go I mean, 40, 45 days in a row, bro? I'm trying. I'm in, so I'm on the NFL camp tour right now. I'm in hotels every single night, so it's easy for me to just pop down to the gym, do a couple weights, watch some, watch Aaron get get uh, get jacked on Twitter, and and you know go from there. It's 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 been okay so far. All right. Day thirty so, might be hard. So how about this? In forty five days, you'll come back and make another appearance, and we'll see if you fill the screen. <laughs> Just one big bicep in the Zoom. <laughs> Absolutely. So you're on your NFL tour. You're in Pittsburgh. You were in Buffalo to start. Buffalo, the significance, actually, to your story, to us, that actually fits really well. You were up there mm-hmm. sort of uh, uh, digging in on, on the, the OC there. Name, obviously, a legendary, legendary name. His name is like uh, he's, he's a god when it comes to the Hurricanes, yep. Ken Dorsey. So uh, did, you got to interact with him, talk with him. How was that? And what'd you, what were you, I guess, what were you trying to do? And uh, what, what was this sort of the angle you were looking for? And what was your interaction like with Ken? I promise you, and I, I have to qualify this because people in my life might might think otherwise. I promise you, I wasn't doing the story because he was Ken Dorsey, okay? I was doing it because he's taken over for, as Josh Allen's offensive coordinator after Brian Dable, uh, and, and they had one of the best partnerships in the history of football um, over the past 15 years. And now there's a new guy in it okay it just so happens um, to be ken job. dorsey it and this is the miami so hurricanes happens. podcast so yes it just no and so it just so happens that he is one of the most revered figures <laughs> on my favorite team in the world uh which i i had to compartmentalize that as we spoke um but it was a real thrill and i never you know i talked to butch davis uh for the story i'd never connected with butch before um, i had talked to ken two years ago because I did a Frank Gore profile and he was, um, he was there as a passing game coordinator uh, in Buffalo two years ago. So I connected with Ken for the first time. That, that, that was when I was a, a, t- a tad bit starstruck, not just as a, as someone who went to University of Miami, but just as a college football fan. And you see this all the time, Josh, where, you know, I'll be, I'll, I'll see something even I, I you know, I, I'm not the biggest uh, supporter of other in-state schools, but you'll see some guy who balled out for Florida State and Florida in the '90s. You know, he's a coach, or he's you know, he's a he's a position coach somewhere, and you'll go, "Oh wow, like that, that's pretty cool that he's right there." Um, but you're just you just remember how many big games he played in, um, and, and and it helps certainly that uh, he was one of the most revered figures in the history of of this program. Um, my experiences with him were were great. Um, he's really focused on this job. Um, he does not, you know, do, you had Duke Johnson on, uh, on an earlier episode. He talked about how he didn't even bring up his playing career. He's not interested in nostalgia. Um, he does not want to do story time right now. He wants to do, this is what Buffalo Bills are going to look like. This is where we're building, we're building training camp. Um, and that to me is pretty impressive because there's a lot of guys um, who, who balled out 20 years ago who, uh, who rested on their laurels. Ken Dorsey is not one of those guys. When you think nah, about his I, football I wouldn't education. Actually, I, I would not, uh, just knowing him a little bit and hearing stories about him, here's the word Duke Johnson also used, I think off-air, but we were talking intense. Yep, yep. And, and you think about it, I mean, his football education, what impressed me the most, Josh, is he was, he was a, a drop-back pocket passer, right, at, at Miami. We know that. He went up to Canada, he told me, and he was running zone read stuff. That was 2010, okay? Um, obviously hung around the NFL. 
But then he becomes Cam Newton's quarterback coach. Completely different offense. He learned that stuff. He masters it. Um, Cam puts up some of the best numbers in history when he was a, a quality control guy who's basically doing advanced scouting for him. And now he's Josh Allen, who plays a completely different style. He's his OC. So you think about just the football mind for that sort of flexibility. It's really kind of incredible how smart he is and how he's able to sort of uh, travel through all these different schemes and, and all these different innovations of the last 20 years and, and master all of them. Yeah. And his, his rise too is uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think he like started his coaching career, like IMG Academy and then yep, he sort of yep. navigated his way into the NFL and took a year yeah, off so, or had a year off, however you want to look at it. Yeah. And I mean, even I, I asked him this the other day, but you know, he was supposed to be the play caller for Appalachian state in the year 2019. And then, Three years later, four years later, here he is uh, he as a good shot to be an OC in the Super Bowl this year. Um, his rise has been really astounding. He was at FIU just a couple of years ago uh, when I spoke with Butch. Uh, everybody covered your ears. He mentioned that Ken was was uh, was on the staff when they beat Miami uh, at, at Marlins Park. Um, and so, I mean, it was that was not too long ago. And so the fact that he was able to work his way up in Buffalo sort of speaks volumes to what kind of guy he is. All right. So, Kevin, let's we'll connect some dots here. Right. So obviously, you know, the ringer, a lot of NFL, F1. You love college yeah. football. You mentioned before the school you love. So this for, yeah. for the audience, your love, you're an alum. But so just your love of the University of Miami, its football program stems from where? Stems from the first day I, I, I stepped foot on campus in 2007. Um, that, that's when the love happened. I was always fascinated by it. I was actually watching. Uh, again, another another bad memory. Um, the orange, the Nebraska Miami Orange Bowl in '95. I want to say that I January '95. Was, I was there. Um, and I, I really do think, and I was trying to rack my brain after call my mom about this. I think that's the game where I think my mom explained the rules of football to me during that game. Um, and 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 I was just when you grow up, I grew up in Orlando. When you grow up in any Florida city, um, and probably any city in the South, you really can't escape college football you can escape nfl football really i mean when you especially when you think about the 90s when the dolphins weren't exactly um killing it the the bucks were a joke until the late 90s and the jaguars didn't even exist uh for for, for half a decade and, and and when they did they didn't make a whole dent um but you go to Publix on a saturday even a sunday and everybody's talking about the hurricanes the gators the seminoles depending on on who played where or, uh, you know who was number one in the polls and one of the four teams is always oh yeah the polls. Um, and so it, it, it's really, it was in being fascinated with the university of Miami and appreciating them so much was always in my blood. I was actually kind of a, I leaned, um, I was, you know, when I, when I stepped foot on campus, I was thinking like, was I always a Miami fan? I was always a little bit neutral, um, growing up. My, my parents are from the North. Uh, my mom is a Maryland Terrapin, but I wasn't going to go down that road. Um, some of my uncles are, went to Notre Dame. My great grandfather actually played at Notre Dame. Um, in, in the late 1800s, I wasn't going to go down that road ever. Um, and so, but I, you know, I, I remember Maurice Sykes in the swamp going, going coast to coast for that touchdown. And I, I think I hated the Gators so much that I became a Miami Hurricanes fan in that moment. Um, but it's just a, I don't know how you can watch Miami Hurricanes football when you're young, especially when they're dominant and not come away just being completely in love with that brand of football. And did any of that draw you to the school to be a student or it just so happened that's where you ended up? 
No. So I, I actually have kind of a weird path towards that, which is that, um, so I started my college career in Chicago uh, and I transferred from DePaul and I, I, someone in the athletic department was going to ask admissions about this. I think Shane Larkin, Charlie Moore and I are the only people who transferred from DePaul to the University of Miami ever. It's quite a pipeline. The big three, as I call them. So next um, thing you know, you'll be in Turkey, I think, just being a, yeah, you'll be a million yeah. dollar columnist for the Turkish yeah. ringer. That's me. Um, no. And so uh, I, 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 got an internship. I worked at the Chicago Tribune my first year of, um, of college and I got an internship at the Sun Sentinel and kind of by accident, I kept working my way up over that summer. And they asked me if I wanted to not go back to Chicago and just, just cover the Dolphins that year. So that was 2007. I said, sure. Um, on kind of a whim, I said, what if I just kind of didn't go back to Chicago ever, um, let alone this semester. And I transferred and I, I applied to the U I got in um, I loved it. I mean, that was, I mean, part of it was the mistake I made, to be honest, at the beginning was ever going to a school like DePaul without football team. I just loved college football so much. Um, and I was, you know, I would go on Saturdays with my friends and I, uh, my roommate was from Georgia and he was a big Bulldogs fan and we would go to the bars and watch, you know, Iowa, Ohio state and it's big 10 country. And I just right. said, damn, like, I, I wish I was a part of this. I wish I was in a student section somewhere. Um, and, and so that, you know, when I had the opportunity to be in Miami, to relocate to Florida, that was a no brainer. I wanted to be part of it. And I wanted to be part of the University of Miami. As soon as that became a, a possibility on the radar, I was obsessed with that idea. And I was so happy to, uh, to get in and, and start classes. So how jacked up were you with that, with the 2008 recruiting class? You must've thought, dude, it's going to so, happen while I'm here. I, I did think that I thought the turnaround, but also you have to remember, they were still really good. I mean, I was actually thinking about this when I was driving today because I was, I was listening to a different podcast. Um, and I was thinking what? about how... You were listening to a different <laughs> How dare it you? The college, it was CBS's college football wins total. Oh, cover three. The co- wait, you were listening even, to the cover three with your coastal, your coastal win totals? Love those guys. But I was thinking about how even in 2000, certainly 2004, 2005, 2006, beating Miami, North Carolina is a good example of this, Beating Miami was still the type of thing where, like, you sold photos in the school shop, you know, of the win if, if you beat Miami. It was a benchmark. It was something. And, and people talked about it for years. And so even in 2007, things start going downhill, obviously, at the end of the Coker regime. Then they lose 48 nothing to Virginia. They have hiccups on the way there. Um, and I felt like this was going to be like a two-year lull. They get that 08 recruiting class. I remember signing day being in class um, in the communications building, reloading and just looking at Canesport and just saying, this guy signed, this guy signed, this guy signed. I think the story was Urban Meyer threw his phone against the wall because Philip Buchanan, uh, Philip Buchanan committed. Um, like I was absolutely all in. Um, and, you know, even that fall, we played Florida at the swamp and I drove seven hours, whatever it was. And I met a bunch of friends there who went to Florida, had some of my own friends from Miami, and it was such a great weekend. But my expectations were such that, okay, like we already had talent on the team. We have the 08 recruiting class. Ja'Cory was going to play a couple series for Robert Marv. Like, we're going we're gonna to let this ride, man. We're going to give this a go. And then I think we, we crossed midfield once. I think it was that. And the funny <laughs> thing is, I, I, I was actually thinking this a couple weeks ago because uh, there was actually a – uh, someone reached out about how they might make a Gators documentary. And so someone was asking me about it because I'd done some reporting on that, on that uh, Aaron Hernandez stuff. It was kind of separate. Um, but I was thinking about that game because before really big games, I don't have a beer. 
because I want to focus on the game. I want to process it all. And so I didn't drink all day. You know, I'm walking around tailgates. People are trying to hand me a more light. I'm just, nope, nope, nope. Got to focus on the game. And as soon as I saw the talent difference between the 08 Gators and the 08 Hurricanes, I was like, my God. Please, please take me back in time and hand me another light. Yeah, I'll take three. Oh, no, it's right. How about this? My gator. Uh, I went up to the swamp once with my then girlfriend. Or uh, Yeah, then sure. girlfriend, now wife. And uh, we're tailgating and it's a tailgate. I mean, I give it that tailgate. The tailgate scene was legit. Yep. And uh, I walk in before her. I get my I, I throw my beer down. She tries to go in with the beer and uh, they take her ticket. So I'm in the gate. She's outside the gate. And we're like, oh, no, like, what would you like? Wait, what'd you do? She's like, I didn't know. I thought that, that, that. I'm like, but we got the hook up and we got another ticket and we went in and it was all good. But I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and she's like, I didn't know. I'm like, I didn't, I, I didn't really know either, I guess. How do you not know? It's a dry campus. It's dry. Game. How do you not know these <laughs> rules? The wife of a sports guy. Um, all right. So 2007 at UM. So obviously we kind of know what the next, you know, 15 or, you know, 14 years of UM football have been like. I've, I've, I've lived it and had to fend off uh, everybody for all that time. So let's just fast forward to now. Last December, Mario Cristobal's name comes up and Kevin Clark's reaction is what? Wow. Um, so Bruce Feldman had been saying for months that he was with Mario when the job after Rick opened and that he had always thought that Mario, the timing wasn't right, but like he wanted to eventually be here. And there were people within around the program who had said, you know what, when the university decides Mario is coming home, Mario is coming home. That means financial commitment. That means facilities. That means building out the staff, all that stuff. And I'd always thought that was a pretty interesting way to put it. And I didn't know it was going to be this time because there were, first of all, felt like, you know, some of the, some of the Barry Jackson reporting from Miami Herald, um, it, it, it felt like they were comfortable just kind of being a top, top of the division type of team, not a lot of pressure to win the conference. So I didn't know it was going to be now that they were going to say, let's inject some money, let's inject some life into this program. And once the, we started down that path, I, I couldn't have been more excited. I was so, I mean, this is something where, I, I, I want it to be such a huge part of my life. And it is such a huge part of my life. But like, I live in Brooklyn with my wife and we go to an away game. Um, we try to go every year, um, especially since I went to the, moved to the East Coast again. So where, where um, I, did, I, no, I know that about you. So have you had, do you have a game tab this year? Yes, it's, I'm going to Blacksburg. Yeah. Tickets are already in. Tickets nice. are already in. Tickets are already in. Uh, we went to Chapel Hill last year. Um, and so it's funny because I, even when we, we when the new ages, ACC schedules came out a couple of weeks ago. I just, I sort of mapped out. It's like, Oh, good. At, at Boston, at Syracuse. These are, these are road trips I can do. I'm good with that. Um, but yeah, no, Blacksburg is going to, going to be great. And also it's the last, the last rivalry game. I know. After this, we're, that, we're that, I gotta be honest. I hate it. I hate it. Um, but so I, the idea that we're going to go from neck and neck with North Carolina to recruiting against Florida and Texas and Georgia and Alabama and the teams that we're currently beating right now. And so in some of these cases and, you know, being, you know, I, I, I it really depresses me. The, the, the worst, like a top five worst sports moment of, of probably my life was when I flew, uh, met my family in Chicago to watch us play Notre Dame 2012. Uh, oh. Philip Dorsett misses an <laughs> uh, easy touchdown on the first drive. I remember drive. that. I was and then uh, we lost freezing, by my, like, freezing my ass off yeah. on the sidelines. It was uh, We lost by like 30 points. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. maybe it more. It was brutal, but 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 the, it wasn't just the loss. I, I've, I've been around for a lot of bad losses. I'm going to learn the magic, and I get that. 
It was that I didn't see a path for us to be as good as Notre Dame. I didn't see a path for us. And Notre, it's not like Notre Dame's Alabama. We see that when Alabama plays Notre, Notre Dame later in that season. But that, to me, was the most depressing thing as you see this. You know, I have a friend, and I think maybe you know, you've even talked about it before, um, where, you know, you, when, when you'd see before the game, um, you know, you, a lot of people around the program have said you'd see Miami match up against LSU is a good example, or uh, last year Alabama. You'd see them on pregame warmups. You'd say this is a different, this is a different genre of football. Like these lines are just, it's like it's like the O line of Alabama and the O line of Miami are playing different sports, right? And <laughs> and for me, the the most important thing now is that if we play Alabama in four years, or we play them in three years, or we play them perhaps in a playoff within that range. Um, it's not going to be like that. Mario is going to get the, the guys in there, the athletes, the bodies in there. Uh, they're going to say, you know what? The guys on our D-line or O-line could have gone to Alabama and didn't and picked us. Well, uh, one thing I can say for sure is that, and I've been told this, and it's not hard to understand wh- what drives Mario Cristobal, right? He is the best recruiter on that staff, and he lives and dies with recruiting. He will lock himself in his office yep. to recruit. Because he understands I, I, what you just said. So Bruce Feldman, to bring up, bring up another can in media, um, he said after Mario's hire on his podcast, and I think both of us all the time, he said there are two people he's ever met whose hobby is recruiting. Mario Cristobal is one and Ed Ogeron is the other. They don't golf. They don't want to golf. They're not, gonna, they don't, they're not movie buffs. They don't care. You know what they want to do if they have an extra hour? They want to find guys to recruit and then recruit them. And there are not a lot of people who are wired like that. Now, there are people who are good recruiters, but I think that if you were to give, you know, Nick Saban likes being, you know, you know he likes to go out in the lake and all that stuff. Um, he likes to relax, but, you know, he obviously knows how to recruit. But it sounds like from someone like, like Feldman, uh, Mario loves it in a way very, very, very few people do. Now that he's been hired, yeah. what's impressed you so far? Recruits. Good recruits. Are you still refreshing? Are you still Alabama. refreshing Kane Sport? You still refreshing Kane Sport? But now, now there's like nine sports. I'm giving nine uh, sites. I'm giving ten bucks right. a month to. It used to just be one. Um, yeah, my buddy. No, it's I mean, just it, funny it, you say that because I was with my buddy over the weekend. He's like, "Yep, yeah, I haven't I haven't had uh, my subscription for a while, but I've renewed now to two sites, yep. and I'm on there all the time." Yep, yep, yep. It's a lot more than two for me, but um, no, it, it's it's being an actual dog fights for recruits and winning them and i think that the the miami guys the full lauderdale guys will come um i'm actually not as worried about that we're getting the national guys and then we start to win we prove it you know i i said this on on fine bum today because he'd asked me a question about miami and i i said that miami has the greatest advantage of any school in the country and i read a book a couple months ago called good to great it's a kind of a business book but you kind of I like to read some of that stuff just because I, yeah, just, just connect with, 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 with what people are thinking about. And one of the things they said is if you're a business, figure out what you can be the best in the world at the literal best in the world, right? Not second best, best in the world. And just focus on that. And you think about the University of Miami, they are the most popular school in the most talent rich area in the world, more than Dallas, more than LA, more than Houston, more than Atlanta. And they can take those kids, develop them, put them three years, give them a diploma on a beautiful campus and put them in the NFL. Nobody else has that advantage. So the fact that there's going to be a guy, Mario Cristobal, who can do that, can do that competently, who can go into these high schools in Broward and Dade and Palm Beach, even up to Orlando, um, if, you're, if you're up on the, the latest recruiting, um, 
and 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 bring those guys home because again, the state of Miami, the Schnellenberger set up, went to Orlando. Maybe we'll even get into Jacksonville um, in this run here. But I don't. I I, I think that it is uh, an advantage that we're finally utilizing after after twenty years of not. Yeah, and I also think um, not only that you can pair it now, pair it with his experiences and where he's been and the staff he's assembled yeah. and the way the world is that you get this thing going and that you brand will travel the country. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And you just think about, you mentioned his experiences, you know, he almost or he did take a, Mario did take a job uh, under the Al Golden staff Correct. and left a couple of weeks later, but thank God for that. Cause he goes and he works for Nick. He goes and he goes to Oregon and gets his own, um, another program and is able to, to, to figure out how to build an elite power five program um, without, he always would have been a very good coach, but without that time with Nick Saban, I think you, again, it goes back to the dad Bill Kirby smart thing. You don't know exactly what it takes until you're inside of it. Well, I'll just tell you, I'll tell you this in 2010, I was doing basketball with Joe Z. UM played in the NIT in Tuscaloosa. It was the switchover from Shannon to golden. And a couple of Randy staffers were on Saban staff had been picked up by Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, so they come over to our walkthrough watch because they knew the basketball coaches and they're like, Hey, you guys want to come to look at the facility? Yeah, come toward the facility. Let me show us. Let's show us. You know, let me show you. Let's show us what you uh-huh. got. And that's 12 years ago. You could only imagine what it looked like 12 years ago. <laughs> and, and the only story I'll say is they're in the weight room. They had knocked out some drywall, whatever. And we we're like, what's going on over there? He yeah. goes, uh, Nick wants a smoothie machine, like wants a smoothie bar set up. So that's at, like, that's a half a million and that's going over there. That'll be in before the start of the season. That's how that works. It's unbelievable. What excites you about this team? Like, how are, are yeah. you riding the, are you riding the Van Dyke uh, train? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny uh, how much he, he improved. I was watching, I think it was the pit game. And he's making all these NFL throws. And my wife, who knows absolutely nothing about football, like if, if Aaron Rodgers was in front of her, she'd have she'd have no clue. Um, and but she she was looking at the TV and watching this guy. And and she had been we've been in the front row with the North Carolina game. She said, "Do they get a new quarterback?" And I said, "No, that's just how good he's gotten over the past month or whatever it was." And he's a legitimate NFL guy. And some of those NFL throws are unbelievable. So yes, I mean. There's a there's a stat there um, that I think are both Ari Wasserman and Bud Elliott have talked about where the only way to the only teams that have won a national championship or even competed for a national championship without consistent top three or top five recruiting classes had generational quarterback play. That's the only way. So like two of those Clemson teams um, actually recruited worse than than you would think um, in general. The Cam Auburn team obviously. And so when I think about you know. The cupboard is in no way bare. Um, there's a lot of four stars, a lot of talent on this team, a lot of talent on this defense. Um, the offensive line is, you know, is, is mostly intact. I like these guys, a lot of good skill guys. Um, but they still don't, as we discussed, they didn't bring in the type of talent that Alabama has or, um, or, or, or Georgia. And so in order to bridge that gap, it's going to have to be Tyler Van Dyke. Um, and, and yes, I'm extremely jacked about it um i'm extremely jacked to see some of the more talented guys um that we see whether that's 
someone like a James Williams, who I was talking to somebody affiliated with the program a couple weeks ago saying, however, however athletic you think he is, he's more athletic. Um, Leonard Taylor, obviously from a couple of years ago, this talent on this team and what, what, the, the amazing thing about a super staff and the thing that I think that, that we're blessed as a, as a fan base with is we're going to get to see these guys maximize because I think that there were times over the last 15 years where guys have come in and have had great freshman seasons and they don't take te- steps forward. And some of it's coaching, maybe it's facilities, whatever it is. That to me was so frustrating. And it got to the point, not, not under Manny, but, but in some years it would get to the point where somebody would go, you know, and go play for Jimbo or something. And he'd say, you know what, what case do we have right now? Cause when we bring in guys, it's not, it, we don't turn them into the elite of the elite. This isn't, you know, green tree used to mean something. And so now I think, we're getting with this staff, with Josh Gaddis, with Kevin Steele, with Mario Cristobal, with, with you know, look at just the position coaches, running back elite, tight end elite. Like this is just, um, this is some great stuff. And we're going to get to see all of these guys maximize the top of their talent. It's funny, you said something before um, when you were talking about kind of roster building and you mentioned competition. And you look at those schools and it's, five-star over five-star over four-star over four-star. So if you're coaching there at those schools, next man up, it doesn't matter. Your job's never safe, right? You ha- like we've, I've had players on this podcast, Santana Moss, um, Antrell Will, amongst others that like, they knew what every day of practice was like. Not only was the competition going to make them better, but it was also they had to compete for their job because they knew there was someone else that could take their job. And as a coach, yes, as a coach, you have to develop your roster for that amount of talent, not only to be great, but to ensure the greatness because the competition yep. breeds that. And, and also the competition creates something that I think that, I mean, you know, it haven't been around it, but culture starts in the locker room. You can't, if you're a coach, you can't impart it. It can't go top down. Okay. Um, it's got to start with, Guys like, I mean, the famous Michael Irvin speech, right, where they're down and they're down in the locker room in Florida State. And they said the only way to get out of it is to, to make a promise to each other um, to, to get out of this um, to, and, and to do your job. And that, to me, is what needs to come back. And, you know, even the other Michael Irvin speech where he said essentially what we're saying, which is that Eddie Brown and Stanley Shakespeare gave him gave gave Michael Irvin the runway to be a great wide receiver at the University of Miami and said, this is the expectation. And every day he woke up scared, not only that somebody could take his job, but that the guys who came before him um, didn't thought that he didn't live up to the expectation. And so reestablishing that, I think, is incredibly key. Well, you look, look um, I like, forget you and me. You talk about the locker room. They know who's good. They know how many yeah. good players are in their room. They know how many good players they're competing against. They know what it takes to get on the field and stay on the field. You don't have, and, and they also know when those people are not there. Yes. Yeah. You can tell. I mean, that, that was the funny thing. I was listening to an uh, interview with, with, with Mike Tomlin today on the pivot pod with Ryan Clark. It was really good. And Shannon Crowder. Yes. And, 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 and the thing about culture and practice and all of that stuff, and I've been around the NFL for about a decade. I was listening to Tomlin and, you can tell within about 90 seconds whether or not a franchise or a program has it or not. You know, the way guys carry themselves, the whether, whether they're running from drill to drill, little things like that. And I think if you start mandating that stuff, it gets a little bit hokey. Um, but I, I just it's, – it's, it's easy once you figure it out. The Kansas City Chiefs with Andy Reid, 
you go into a practice and an alien or, you know, I'll give you an example. My wife, as I said earlier, doesn't know, could name three NFL players. If she went to an Andy Reid practice right now and the next day went to a, or, you know, last year went to a Matt Nagy Bears practice, she'd go, oh, I know who's good. And, and that to me is the most important thing. It's just that, that everything they do makes sense and, um, and, and just sort of, sort of flows every single day, everything rolling in the right direction. Because once you figure it out, it's a, it's a pretty easy game. Yeah. So let's let's expand this conversation while I have a little more time with you, because uh, the sport beyond my the sport in and of itself is, you know, spinning on its head. Right. It, it's it's yeah. um, it's an interesting time for a sport we both love. Again, I'm going to uh, I'm going to share this with the audience because I just think it was so well written. Kevin Clark in his recent article for The Ringer College Football, I believe, is not built on TV markets and cable sub fees. It is built on crisp, perfect fall days and pure spite. College football is propelled by a type of fury that is completely unintelligible to anyone who does not experience it. Fury at your rival, their coach, your own coach, the people who make recruiting rankings, the people you work with who once taunted you after the wrong loss. Will we still be able to hang on to those kind of relationships with our schools, rivalries, programs, friends, yeah. the sport, et cetera? considering everything that has happened really in the last two years? It depends. I know that's not a great answer, but it depends. Are we still playing Florida State in a decade? I, I don't know the answer. I'm going to say us and or going to go to the SEC and the other in the Big Ten? Well, that's I would say us and or the sport in general, right? Because it, it's yeah. it's it's the whole sport. Yeah. Whether, you know, look at the back, you mentioned the back 12, right? I mean, obliterated essentially without those two schools yeah. and same with the big 12 and what the sec is going to turn into. Um, unfortunately though, it is somewhat in this day and age being built on TV markets and sub fees. Yes. And I think that's, that's a mistake. I think that's short-term thinking. Um, that's NASCAR thinking, that's boxing thinking Two sports that, that I, I still watch, but not a lot of people do uh, in an increasing, increasing number. Um, so the way I, I'd, I'd say it is that, College football and the, and the powers that be need to be extremely mindful of the fact that everything's interconnected with these schools now. And USC and UCLA can say that they're amps to go play Iowa or Rutgers. But I think there's a certain segment of the fan base that likes living in Los Angeles or living in San Francisco and, you know, taunting their Stanford buddies and their Cal buddies and their Washington buddies and their Oregon buddies and their regionalization. When I mentioned growing up in Orlando, um, there's so many SEC and ACC fans, even UCF fans, and the fact that they were all interconnected is so important. And if tomorrow the ACC and the Pac-12 merge and all of a sudden we're playing in Oregon as much as we're playing uh, Georgia Tech, I would not enjoy that. Um, my favorite thing in the world right now is to – I'm in a text thread about golf with three friends of mine who all went to Florida State, and I really enjoy sending them Miami recruiting updates. It's my favorite thing in the world. Um, and you know, we've got, you know, that, that text chain started a decade ago. We're married. We got kids. Everything's changed in our lives. But the only thing that hasn't changed is the fact that I love taunting them about Florida state football. Right. And, uh, and they used to love taunting me about Florida state football. Um, and so I think that you just, once that starts to go, like, what does the sport have? It's just a junior. It's just a number two for the minor league. It's a junior league for the, I'm sorry. It's, it's a junior league for the NFL. Like that's not enough. It's about passion. It's about hatred, frankly, of, of other schools. It's about having no respect for the University of Florida. Like that's it. That's the thing. 
And if you go from a regional sport to a national sport, you lose a lot. And I think that um, the cable networks can be extremely mindful of that going forward. Yeah, no, I'm with you 100%. Unfortunately, I think those decisions are, are being, it's funny, it, they're being made to fund sort of the superpower theory we discussed earlier in the podcast yes. at the same, while sort of uh, simultaneously breaking up what makes the sport what we all love, right? Because I think you were, yes. I think you might've been alluding to this, right? This is in our fake imaginary world. If Florida State went to the SEC and Miami, let's say, went to the Big Ten in, in our fake imaginary world and there was no Miami, Florida State, like, that's you can't even how does one even fathom that i i i, I could not who's our rival Who, who's our benchmark in that i mean you still have the recruiting rankings and stuff but like i love having it on on the calendar and i love the idea that you know i have so many memories ah this florida state game um you know this we went to tallahassee this year my favorite game i've ever been to probably is the 09 september 09 game where uh christian ponder couldn't couldn't punch it in from the from the goal line. Um, I mean, I just think about that all the time. I saw AJ Highsmith in um, Buffalo, and like that was the first thing I thought of. Not not that he was even playing in that game, but it's like that era of college football. Um, I think about going to Tallahassee and winning that game. Um, guys like Jared Campbell, who I see who's in media, like you know he was on the sideline for that game. Um, it's just really fun. Greg Cooper, all, all those guys. And um, you know, if you start to have no ref frame of reference, I mean, it was interesting because. When Rory was in the hunt, I tweeted out a uh, at the British Open. I tweeted out a uh, tweeted out a uh, interview he had done, where he basically said that he was with a sports psychologist, and they realized that what what every athlete needs is a connection to their their childhood and to be to be rooted and be grounded. And and that way, he started to reconnect with, with the kids from home and stuff like that, just to feel something because he got so detached from everything. And I kind of feel like fans need that too, where you have to have Florida State against Miami. You have to have. Florida State, or sorry, uh, Miami against Virginia Tech. That has to happen. That's why it's a, we, that's why it's upsetting, right? That if you're not going to be in the regular, that's like that's a that's an inherent that's the second most inherent rivalry crazy. after Florida State. It's crazy. And what's upsetting to me is like, okay, let's say we end up in the Big Ten with none of our other rivals. Like I, I'm so, I, I, listen. We can all you and I can both start hitting Ohio State. That's going to be easy. We already do that. Okay. Uh, but like, can you I'm watch? Can you Michigan watch? State now? Can you watch that game? Well, I had so I had Kirk Herbstreit on Slow News Day last year, and we went through it. And he tried to make me feel better about it, and just kind of exercise the demons. And it didn't work. Uh, I can't. I it never works. It never works. There's not. There, I'm uh, pretty like works. even keel. That is the one thing that literally gets me, uh, literally tangibly angry. Well, it would have been okay if we had if we had recovered from it as a, as a program, we did not. I mean, it's a little bit like the, the, the it's a little bit like I have a lot of friends who are Seahawks fans. It's like the Malcolm Butler interception where it's like, it would have been fine if they had just won the Super Bowl the next year or something. It's like, no, but no, it's no, no. never pass interference. Like run. I watch it and I try, like, can I convince myself that maybe it was pass interference and it's never pass interference? Well, the worst thing for me was that, uh, that, Glenn Sharp um, was still on the team when I was a student there. And I remember being in Green Tree and watching it. And it's like every time you see Glenn Sharp, you're like, damn, it's not his fault. It's not his fault. But it's not, no know, way. It, it is absolutely positive. Dude, I, I, was, fault, I was in the but booth. You just be reminded all the time. I was in the booth. I, I can still hear my guys calling the end of it. Like Joe Zagaki called a national championship for the Hurricanes. Those words came out of his mouth. Yeah. I know it, it, it was brutal. It was brutal. 
I, I have watched it. And the one thing that's striking is, is just how, how long of a time really didn't elapse. Like it really is stunning how late the that fireworks went off. The fire, like the, you know, the, know. The, the, the team, you know, celebrated helmets, flying fireworks in the sky. I mean, it was, uh, it was crazy. All right. Where do you, th- uh, how about the, put on your, uh, put on, put your, le- put your periscope up and what do you, where do you think mine is <laughs> in five years? What do you, what do you even think is Ooh. going to who happen? Okay. You mean like as a conference or as a program? Cause I think we're going to make a program, program, program. Yeah. Is that- so, so. Playoff within five years, I would say. All right, so you give, all right, give me both. What's where is the state of the program, yeah. and then what? Where is the program situated? Okay, they're in the ACC because that grant of rights is, is some serious stuff. Uh, goes through twenty thirty six, and at some have point, you, have you read it? Have you become, re- have you uh, have you finagled around in grant of rights? I, I've seen some PDFs flying around. I'm not going to do it. I'll just let the guys who are much smarter than me and cover college sports for a living uh, read the grant of rights. And David Hale said it was going to take a couple hundred million dollars to buy it out. Like, this isn't, I said this in the column, like, this is not like buying out Lloyd Taggart, okay? Like, this is some serious, serious, serious money. Not even our donors can, can help with this. Um, at some point, it'll become financially feasible to buy that out. Um, but I don't think that that's any time in the next five years, and it might not be any time in the next 10 years. I'll let, I'll let Dan Radakovich handle that one. Um, but listen, the good news is we're funding the program to where a temporary short-term uh, revenue uh, gap is not uh, fatal for us, right? Like we've, we're going to have a $100 million facility, it sounds like. Um, we're going to be with the best of the best. So I'm not in the next five, 10 years. I'm not worried about that at all. I'm more worried about what happens in 20 years if somehow one conference that we're not in starts getting $100 million more than another. But that's a, that's a two decades from now problem. It might be $40 million at the end of this decade. We'll see what happens on that. But, but that's, that, that, that's a, it's unknowable for me right now as far as TV deals and what even happens to, to the TV situation going forward. Because remember, cable is not the most stable thing in the world going forward. With, By with the way, uh, I, just okay. say, I just want to say this real quick, Kevin Clark, because I'm, I'm a little bit older than you. Um, in this article, you made a UPN affiliate reference, which I like. I bolded and underlined because I was I loved that because that took me to a time. It's where you found a Kentucky game, right? <laughs> right. Like, oh wow, K- Kentucky and Tennessee. It's a one point game with five minutes to go. We got to find Jefferson what channel Pilot is Sports. that? Where is that on? What, what channel? channel? Oh, it's on what, 30. Just, yeah, UPN. you got it. You got it. You got it. Like before I was like, I was young for this, but I was around before the guide could answer all of our questions. You could just say sports on the guide. You used to have to just flip, flick around. I remember, so this was 2002 um, where Kentucky took, took Zook to the wire and it looked like Kentucky was going to win. And I remember being in Tampa and just frantically, I get, you got to see Zook lose to Kentucky. And actually I think Florida ended up winning that game, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it was, it was that kind of like, where do we go? I don't know. Like, do we check the newspaper? That was another thing people used to do is check yeah. the newspaper to see what channel. You could also, you could also, um, I think on Sunday nights, question, you could watch the uh, replay on sunshine network. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, but to answer your question, playoff definitely uh, barring something crazy in the next five years is going to happen. Getting to Charlotte this year is my expectation. I don't, you know, I talked to someone in college football, pretty smart, uh, very smart, a couple months ago, who said, we don't know if the bodies and the physicality yet are top, top level. So worried about AM, worried about Clemson, 
So this year, that could be that could mean three losses if we see Clemson twice. I don't know. Um, but the expectations, as, as Mike Tom would say, the standard is the standard. Um, if we drop another ACC game outside of that, I, I'd be I'd be disappointed. Um, having said that, listen, it's it, we're going to be working on things all year. It's a new staff. Like I'm not going to. I'm not going to freak out um, if, if it's, if they lose to a team other than a and Clemson. Um, but that's, that's my standard. And then next year with the recruiting class, with the way it's going, um, we'll see what the quarterback situation is, whether that's, you know, whether Tyler is, is there or not. Um, I'm, I'm thinking AC championship and, and, and playoff bubble team, frankly, depending on how that goes. And then third year, go time. Go time. <laughs> we are on a, Kevin Clark has put the gauntlet down three-year time. Bam. Um, by Bam. the way, I, 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 I text, I text Mike Ryan when I, I, there was this, there was a, uh, they announced the, uh, the college ball playoff championship site the other day for like 2026. And I, I just texted him. I was just like, I can't wait to be in the front row with you, buddy. And he was like, yeah, for our third consecutive. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where you stand and then we'll let you go. I'm a, it's why I've been for expanding the playoffs because I think you need to have it matter for more teams. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it will matter. I, 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 so, so, so the argument I've heard from people is that guys make the playoffs, the recruiting ceiling raises, and then they start competing with it. Right. I don't necessarily think that's the case. Again, go back to Georgia. Georgia made the playoffs. No, I guess I'm, but my point is like, because in this day and age of college football, four teams make the playoff. Those four teams matter. Everyone else sucks. Okay. But let me give you the, the flip side of that, which is every game is life and death in college football right now. And when we lose our second game every year, and I, listen, I don't care who the coach is. I don't care who the quarterback is. I bet you are too. You're thinking national championship in the back of your head every September with Miami, every September, even under Randy. All right, how many, all right, I wasn't going to ask this. How many times in the, in the time you started at school to now, there's an appointment point in the season where they've been six and oh, or seven and oh, or six and one. You're like, it, this could be the year. This could be the year. Six and oh, I, if they lose one game, I'm like, well, we're still in the hunt. I'm good with that. <laughs> I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think in, oh, was it oh, oh, nine? We lost to Virginia Tech, obviously, but then we lost to Clemson later that year. And I was thinking, I was gaming it out because we had beat FSU, we beat Georgia Tech, we beat Oklahoma. And I remember losing that Clemson game and going, damn, we had something here. We had something here. And we ended up being nine and four. But I think that Clemson game, I think it was OT. And then we lost North Carolina um, on the last possession of the game, if you remember that. Um, that was a crazy comeback. But in, in the back of my head, I was every time we get our second loss, I say, all right, well, that, that changes things. And I, I, I can make plans for January. Um, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like just growing up, maybe because of the expectations I had for, for, for those teams when I was young. Um, but like, obviously, you know, 2013, we start what, seven, seven and oh, before that, that FSU game. Um, yeah, obviously the Orange Bowl year, we had something going. If we hadn't lost the pit, totally different conversation. Um, I think that there's, I, I'm, I'm wired to be a, a Miami optimist, even when there's no evidence for it. And I think that every year when we lose our second game, it's devastating to me. And I don't want a world where so that's all right. So that all right. Gets, so so, into the postseason. so it, it, that's the beauty of the sport, which goes back to your college football should yes. not be about markets and sub fees. So, you know, Give me the give me the two loss barrier as like the make or break because I'm a college football fan. It's the only sport six, where it happens. Six teams, six teams, it seems right to me. Okay, six, six teams, teams right. seems right to me. And then three, 
I think it should be the top three ranked uh, champions, conference champions. So you get the two mega conferences, and then you get a third, whether it's the ACC, Big Twelve, Pac-12, and then three whatever. at larges, and then that, and then three at larges. That would make it so it's probably a bunch of one zero or one loss teams. All right. All right, my friend. Uh, thank you. I think I'm getting you out right on time, dude. I think I did this perfect, which never happens. I, I, I hit right. I hit the number. By the way, if, all right. Last thing: if TVD is in New York or wins the Heisman, what can we get Kevin Clark to do publicly? I'm trying to think. Van Dyke winning the Heisman is too low a bar for me to get a U tattoo. I will say that. That's not. If we win it, if we win the national championship the next three years, I'll, I'll get a U tattoo. I'll say that right now. Um, but oh, I got. I got to think. What's 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 the What's the uh, what's the thing for me to do? Um, I will. I don't know. Um, Whatever you want. I'll I'll dye my hair uh, half orange, half green for a week. Nice. And can we get the Canes barber to do it? it? Or or no no no. I'll just shave a U in the back of my head. That's no felled mustache. I will, felled mustache. Felled mustache. That's it. That's it. Felled mustache. That's it. I will commit if T- if TBD wins the Heisman, yes. I will commit not only to a second 45-day challenge, but to a, a felled mustache, and I will have that mustache for one month. All right. Kevin Clark, you can find all his work at The Ringer, also uh, SI Slow Newsday. I honestly encourage you to read read all his work, but specifically as it relates to this, the last two articles you wrote about college football, one about NIL and the other just about the state of the state of the game. I tried my best to uh, tease the audience but honestly it was well worth it and you are a you're a five-star buddy a five-star writer and uh a good man as well appreciate it hopefully uh so hopefully we meet up friday night in blacksburg appreciate you all right see you buddy